It had some good things, but it had a lot of bad things, but it was really the fact that I was searching for war constantly. I was searching for that battle, searching to be in the conflict. And for me, the interpretation of that was joining the military. Hey everyone, welcome to This Day Hungry podcast. Today, our special guest is former Special Forces operative, multiple business owner, corporate speaker, best-selling author and TV personality, Ollie Ollerton. This one's going to be a banger. Welcome, Ollie. TV personality, that's probably the wrong one. TV... <sighs> I don't care, mate. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, so it's just, I still struggle with the whole celebrity thing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for the Philistines who might not know who you are, um, if, if you start with the three W's, if you'd like to let people know what you do, who for, and why. Okay, what do I do? I own a business called Breakpoint. Um, Breakpoint changes the way people think um, through a better understanding of themselves. Um, however, I came from the spotlight. I'm going to do this all around the wrong way of the questions. No, it's free-flowing. Far too much structure for me, Andy. <laughs> so basically, I came from the shadows into the spotlight um, on a very popular TV show called SAS Who mm. Dares Wins. I'm a former Special Forces soldier. I served for about, not about, I served for 11 years. Um, and then the, the show just went um, viral everywhere, you know. So um, the show has been a massive uh, platform for me. Um, but my sole passion and focus has always been Breakpoint. Um, so I've never allowed and never will allow like the TV work to ever get in the way of my true mission. And that is Breakpoint. It's a globally identified brand recognized for the positive growth and development of others. Brilliant. And who, who are these others specifically? Is there like specific people you are help groups of people? No, not really. At the end of the day, it's anyone who feels the desire or the impulse to, to change. If they, you know, as as we should all, I, I always believe that the answer to not only mental health, but just to, to, to feel more fulfilled in life, you have to always aim for something bigger. It doesn't matter where, what walk of life you're from, how successful you are. Once we start to plateau, that is where we start to have the issues. You know, the mind needs to be challenged. We need to challenge ourselves to feel alive. Excellent. I think it's one of Joel's jokes that plateau is French for going backwards. So yeah, yeah, you, you move forwards or backwards, yeah. don't you? And and why? I mean, what was the main reason? Like, what gets you leaping out of bed in the morning? Why do you do this? Yeah, you know what? And that's only really happened. I spent most of my life, most of my career, absolutely confused about what my purpose was on this planet. Mm. You know, I joined the military. I'm probably one of the first military people who, who was in the special forces to actually say that I didn't think it was for me. You know, even though I was in there, I didn't. I, I, as soon as I got there, I joined the Royal Royal Marines as a, as a as a young lad, and then because that didn't really fit them, you know, I just felt mm. out of place. And this um, was at 16. I joined at 18. 18. Um, and I just didn't feel at home like it didn't, you know, this is, this was not my perception. Mm. Okay. And I think really for me, I, I built that image up in my head, that perception up since I was 14 years old. So the reality and perception was so far apart when I got there. And the bottom line for me, Andy, was the fact that because I had quite, uh, a traumatic experience when I was 10 years old, uh, without going too into detail, I was attacked by a chimpanzee at the circus at 10 years old. It nearly killed me. Um, it really did have some, it had some good things, but it had a lot of bad things. But it was really the fact that I was searching for war 
constantly. I was searching for that battle, searching to be in a conflict. And for me, the um, interpretation of that was joining the military. Because okay. um, I was, was going to ask yeah. about that. Because a um, sports psychology professor, a guy called Lou Hardy, mm. here in the UK, he, he did a study where he compared 16 Olympic champions with 16 non-meddling Olympians. And every single one of the Olympic champions, he found out had been exposed to trauma as a kid. And obviously I was, I was going to ask you about it because that, that visit yeah. to the circus when you were 10 sort of almost kick-started everything. Yeah, it did for me. But I say this, you know, I say this in my talks that, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, I was born at 10. And when I say that, that's my first memory of life on this planet because that event was so traumatic. I can't remember anything before that. Um, and, you know, I, this is what we have. And this is the... Firstly, I'd like to say that hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it didn't win any wars. It's great for reflection. But, um, you know, and I reflect a lot. And I think that's, I've got, um, I think that's a very powerful, powerful thing that we should do. We should be constantly studying um, and constantly at school, if you want to call it that. And that helps us unravel the past which will then help us pave the way for the future. And for me, I'm constantly going through what happened there as a 10-year-old kid. Um, you know, the positive side of it was the fact that it, you know, when I was, I mean, basically the, the chimp attacked me. It was, it was on my chest trying to rip me apart. And, you know, in that moment when my life was flashing in front of me and I was going to die, I went somewhere that I never, I, I accessed something I never knew I had. And that was this inner strength, this inner potential. That voice said, it doesn't end like this today. And that was the one thing that saved my life that day. It helped me then retaliate, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the positive of that was the fact that I would then use that potential, that inner strength to then pass special forces selection. I would use that time and time again, especially when it came to my own mental health battles, which I pulled myself back from suicide on all kinds of, I wouldn't say not actually doing suicide, but the thought of doing suicide. So the, that was the positive. The negative thing for me, which is something I've actually just sort of considered recently, is the fact that I looked at my life, okay, till not too long ago. I mean, 2019, I really came, um, <laughs> I made peace with the chimp through ayahuasca. Um, and for me, I realized that throughout my whole life, that every good situation, every time I did well in life, Every time I had some balance, I'd done well, I would then get the grenade, pull out the pin and throw that in and cause absolute chaos. Now, look what happened when I was 10 years old. That was the most amazing day for me to a point. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah, like yeah. brilliant. I was going to the circus. I saw a chimp. I was absolutely infatuated by Tars and wow, there's his sidekick. It was amazing. I was in so such a heightened state of emotion positively and then chaos reigned. And that's exactly the template that I then acted throughout the whole of my life. And this is the thing, you know, there's three ways that you can influence the subconscious mind. You know, the fact that we are programmed from the age of zero to seven, that's absolute fact. Um, you can either um, practice repeat or a heightened emotional event that can be positive and negative. And that for me was at 10 years old, that heightened emotional event, which really massively impacted me then. And the fact of the matter is trauma we have this innate ability to be able to lock away that intimate trauma and push it away. And that is good for the short term because it helps us get over the short term, but it doesn't mean that you can leave it. And that's what I did. And that was the biggest mistake ever um, to right, just okay. leave that trauma and think I could just walk away from it. So do you think like, so when you joined the military at 18, was there a moment where 
you felt this is this is really helping this is brilliant i mean or or did you ever think about quitting because I'm, I'm sure obviously the training must have been like immensely tough yeah no it's, it was amazingly tough it's been, and i always say though going from a civilian to a royal marine commando was harder than going from a royal marine commando to a special forces soldier i was indoctrinated by that point um what was the hardest thing you did in training in training Special Forces training. Um, if the Royal Marines before before we get Royal Marines was just the. I think it was just the. I think it was just the fact that they t- they take away that control. They take away that um, you know your comforts, any kind of comforts, and everything else. And all of a sudden, it's just that real contrast to your normal life. And all of a sudden, that gets you know absolutely everything gets taken away from you, and they tell you a new way to mm-hmm. live and, and be and act and think. I think it's that transition. It wasn't the physical stuff. I could handle the physical mm. stuff, but it was really that transition from A to B to be a different person. Gotcha. You know, it's, right. And you said that, and, and so that was harder than then going into the special forces. Yeah, I, I believe so because yeah. you know when I joined the special, you know, when I went for the special forces, and this is someone something I've always been able to do, looking back, and that's the fact I fall in love with the dream of what I want to achieve. Uh, I then create, you know, this this was not through sort of some kind of set process that I established before. It's like I, f- I fell in love with the fact of being a Special Forces soldier. You know, the, the whole thought of it, what does it feel like? And I managed to, I am, well, we all are extremely creative. The problem mm. is that you go to school and they make sure all <laughs> yeah, of that is yeah. taken out of you. But the fact of the matter is I've always been able to do that, to create that, what does it feel mm. like? And I will focus on that over any how to get there. Wow. And what um, age was that then? What age you joined the, the SPS? I joined, I joined the Royal Marines at 18 and that, I then went for the Special Forces at 23 years old. Wow. So I remember reading um, Rusty Furman's book about his time in the SAS, in the SAS rather than the SPS. Yeah. Um, and obviously everyone talks about the fan dance. I know I did the fan dance, obviously, mm. about a two yes, days slow, two slow, two <laughs> day slower than you. I remember I said to Denny at the end, I says, yeah, like whatever it took me, six hours or something. I said, yeah, I, d- I don't think the SES are going to be one to me. And he was like, don't worry, they're quite full at the moment. <laughs> very polite of him. Um, but Rusty Furman talked about, obviously, the, the fan dance. Mm. But that's when selection doesn't finish then. He then went on to Belize and talked about the jungle training. And fucking hell, that sounded worse than yeah. like anything. Yeah, I think really special forces selection doesn't train you to be a special forces soldier per se. It gives you the basic skills and knowledge so that you can adapt into a team that if you got called out to a war zone straight away, you could do your job. But really at the end of the selection, it's, that's when the work starts. You know, you've got so many, you, you've got so many skills and everything. It's, and it's constant skills and up training operations and and etc etc so you know selection is just a step you know then you know the hard work never really stops and i think really when i look back at that world the pressure to perform was absolutely sometimes it was too much you know what i mean it's like and you can understand why because at the end of the day you get something wrong some people die you know so you there is that but i feel like the pressure to perform was almost I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it, it really was, it really cl- was closed you in and made you very sort of hyper vigilant, if you want to call it that. I suppose you had to be a little bit that way, anyway. So was was there one thing that made you consider leaving the special forces, or was it a build up of different things? No, the thing that made me, I got to the end of special forces training, passed and everything. I was one of five out of two hundred and fifty odd that started that course. So an amazing achievement. Oh me, wow, yeah. Over six months, and I was one of the youngest on that course, if not the youngest. But I then got there and then went, is this it? I just was so deflated. Right. And I really think at the end of the day, you know, I was I joined in the time when there wasn't loads of wars going mm-hmm. on. 
You know, not not in the recent times where there's Afghan Iraq and it's just constant now. But really, for me, it was the fact that I was I w- I wanted to be at war every day. I blame the chimp, but I wanted oh, to be. Wow. But this is my reflection, and this is the thing for me, Andy. It's like because that wasn't there, and I wanted to be at the front line because I came back from Operation Desert Storm as a Royal Marine, and then that's when I said, right, do I want to be? I, I need more of this. Mm. I couldn't handle life as a peacetime soldier, so that's why I made the. Or I was kind of pushed in the way of the special forces, but really for me, it was sometime after leaving the special forces because that it didn't do it for me. I left, and then ten years later, when I did crash and burn, I realised that the war I was searching for was inside. inside. Wow! It wasn't out there. I, I can't think of the name of that film. It's Jeremy Renner's a star. He's, he plays like a bomb disposal expert, and there's a brilliant scene at the very end where he goes through all this trauma at war. Then he's back home with his wife and family, and he's at the sink washing up. He realizes that shit. This is just boring. This is not what I want. He wants to go back out there. Yeah, and um, you know yeah. what I call that, Andy? That is peace in war. Peace in war. Oh, okay. Because when you go to war, it's black and white. Right. Do you know what I mean? People want to kill you, and you're going to do everything yep. you can to prevent them from happening and protect everyone around you. It's quite black and white, isn't it? Yeah. And then yeah. you come home to the absolute white noise mm-hmm. of just everyday life. Oh, someone's parked across your drive. All oh, the washing machine's broken. Going around the Tesco super, you know. And I can remember. I think I remember that film. Isn't he, isn't he going around? I can remember probably that was another one, American Sniper. Oh, uh, okay. maybe where he's actually going around pushing the, the trolley uh, around. pushing the trolley around. I so relate to that. And it's just like noise, just get me back to a yeah. war zone because that is where I'm comfortable. That is my peace in war. Wow. So I mean, we talk a lot about the comfort zone here, and and obviously for some people the comfort zone's big. Uh, some people it's small. Some people they they just don't want to even stick one foot ever outside their comfort zone. And obviously they might struggle to grow and fulfill their potential. So, I mean, is that something you talk about? You're, you're on stage a lot. You're doing big corporate speaking gigs, speaking to mm. business people. Um, I mean, what are the kind of things that you, you do share? Some of the things that you've learned over the years, some of the challenges you faced about getting out of the comfort zone and exploring your potential? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's obviously a big reason why the company's called Breakpoint, and that takes me very back back to the day when I was attacked by that chimp. Breakpoint is the moment you step into short-term discomfort for long-term gain, and the thing is the way that we are wired. You see, I believe there's this conflict. We've got this conflict. When it comes to our survival, which is the strongest driving force in each and every one of us, there is this. that is the strongest driving force in any person. Now, as far as your survival instinct or your survival blueprint wants you to perform it would be quite happy if you sat in the corner ate food and, pro- um, and procreated some people actually do that <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is and then you've got your soul that wants to get out there experience new things and you know adventures mm. and everything else and that's where the conflict comes but the thing is that desire for survival is the strongest driving force so that's why it usually wins now the thing is with the comfort zone i believe because a lot of people demonize the comfort zone there's a purpose and a place for it Okay. And that is, at the end of the day, that's the place you can sit there scrolling through Instagram. That's the place you can sit there, watch rubbish TV. That's the place you can just relax and do nothing. And I think that's important for you to recuperate, mm-hmm. to go again. But the thing is, people have got so used to living there, they don't want to step outside of that. And the more you stay inside, the walls start building thicker on the inside. And before you know it, you're, you're just caught mm-hmm. in this in this place. You know, uh, let's take, for instance, the couch to 5K, because I always use that as an yeah. example, you know. And the best way for anyone listening to this that can overcome that is the fact that you're sat there, you know you should go out for a 1K run. What you've been doing for the past month is, is exactly what you're doing right now, which is lay on the sofa mm-hmm. with rich teas, dunking it in your cup of tea, watching TV. And your mind is saying, just start tomorrow. 
Yeah. Now, when you let that win, tomorrow it will say the same thing. And this is what people do. They go on and on and then start moaning about their life and oh, I can't do anything, this, that, and the other. Lack of self-worth, blah, blah, blah. But what you have to do in that moment is simply take action. And once you contradict the noise in here, there, in your head, you start to build resilience. But if you allow that mind, that, mm-hmm. that to win every time it's gonna it's gonna you're not gonna get anywhere in life you know at the end of the day we are we are wired to to take the path of least resistance and i keep going back a lot of the stuff i talk about is really getting people to be aware of their primal coding because that is far you know our desire for survival is a lot more a lot more important than your followers on egogram yeah you know your uh, the the car you have the business you have the car you have blah 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 it's more important than anything and that is really going to overpower anything when it comes to you sort of start stepping into uncharted territory when the mind sees that you're trying to do something that is not familiar with it's going to be reluctant for you to embrace that because the mind's going to want to fling you back into that Mm. repeat habit loop it wants you to do what you did yesterday and the day before that because as far as your mind's concerned it's kept you alive until today and it doesn't care if it's a good situation or a bad situation amazing amazing. i I remember when my daughter was doing the dve and she had the 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 walking over the long min challenge at night time and she was quite nervous anyway struggled with confidence a bit um and you were kind enough to send her a video and you said something like you know write down a list of things you're worried about cross off what you can't Mm. control and focus on what you can. And for her, even, you know, she was like, I think 15 at the time. Yeah. That was amazing. So is that something, is that like part of your philosophy? Is that something you share with with a lot of people about controlling the controllables? Yeah, no, I think it's really important. I think, you know, and going back to the special forces world, it's like, you know, I've had some very life-threatening situations. You know, one in particular where I was being shot at. And, you know, just as in the lead up to that shootout, big shootout, I can remember I started to panic and this was when i was outside of the military so i didn't have the comfort of the big assets like fast jets and Mm -hmm. and naval gunfire i didn't have the comfort of my team around me with the best skills and the weapons in the world you know back in that day i'd have been like yeah bring it on but at this moment in time i was pretty much on my own with one other and there was eight militia shooting at us but in the lead up to that attack you know i start i i i shit myself and the reason I do say that, not no. literally, you'd be pleased to know, but the reason <laughs> I do say that is because I'd not felt that before. Wow, right, okay. I'd never, I'd never felt that. And that was really sort of overwhelming me. And I was going into cortisol, obviously, was, was mm. starting to take mm. over, which was really um, a cognitive overload. And I was starting to think of the responsibility. I was looking after 12 people on that day. Straight away, the responsibility of those people who were relying on me Mm. at that moment when I felt like a boy in a man's world and how pathetic I felt in that moment. Wow. And then the fact that I started then think about all the things that could go wrong, you know, all the intelligence Mm -hmm. reports about similar things happening, people being beheaded and all kinds of nasty stuff. Um, And I started allowing those, all these different Mm -hmm. aspects to really start to overwhelm me. The fact of the matter is, and this is what I I really do go back a lot, and I think I've got <laughs> I've got a lot of uh, uh, credibility to be able to go into this. Is about our survival instinct mm-hmm. because this is what I experienced at ten. And you've got to understand when you're going into that survival mode, all the blood rushes from your internal organs, you know, and it goes to your external organs like mm-hmm. your limbs, so you can run faster. Fight or flight, yeah. Yeah, cortisol starts to increase, and when that happens, you start to breathe erratically. Well, actually, you start to breathe erratically first, which then triggers the cortisol. 
Um, in that moment, then the blood rushes from the forebrain to the back brain, so you lack creative thought and everything becomes instinctive. And really, at the end of the day, the only way you can stop that happening is first of all by breathing properly. So you're box control, breathing. Box that, breathing, yeah. Yep, yep. Controlling the breath, which lowers the cortisol, gives you a mindset of clarity and not confusion. And really, for me, on that day, forget the 12 people in front. In that moment, it did not matter. Forget all the things that could go wrong. Fear is, an, is a mental and emotional rehearsal for something you don't want to happen. You can't allow it to, to overwhelm you. And really start to focus on the one thing that matters. One to two maximum. Right. Our frontal cortex, five to nine bits of information at any one time. When we're stressed, that goes down to one to two. So in that moment, one to two things, two maximum. And that was the people shooting at me. Forget everything else. We call it in special forces, bring it back to one meter square. And it's really a one meter square box around yourself. The whole team does this. One meter box around yourself. Focus on your immediate environment in that moment. And that really works within everything that's going on physiologically in your body to deal with the situation. Wow. So, I mean, this shit yourself moment, are we talking literally a moment because you're training or did this was this like a minute, two minutes, or was it like, no, done, sorted, put that to bed? No, I tell you what, it was, 30, it was like it was 30 seconds, but it seems like a lifetime. In the moment, mm. you, you know, there is no stopwatch. You know, it's just like seems forever, doesn't it? And it's like, oh my God, what is happening? But for me, it's... Like the oddest thing happened because you think it sent it the other way. But as soon as the gunfire kicked in, bang, it took me back to where I needed to be. Right. And straight away, I took a breath like I'd not breathed in the last minute or so, which then gave me the clarity to, to know what I had to deal with. But it, that snapped me into my training. Wow. And that's what I say, you know, like the, 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 the blood rushing from mm -hmm. the forebrain to the back brain, so everything becomes instinctive. And if you're trying to cram things in, in the frontal cortex, you're, you're just going to be confused. Your mind is going to look for an escape hatch. And that nine times out of 10 is going to take you into further danger. So I work with that sort of everything that was happen happening chemically. I work with that um, to then deal with that situation. And that was all those things I've talked about. And then crossing off the things I can't control, deal with the things I can in that moment. Wow. So, so, so post-military and you were like corporate career, Mm. Is there much that phases you now, or do you still get moments where you think, oh, shit? Or is it like, no, compared to all that, it's water off a duck's back now? Yeah, no, no, I, I still do. You know, it's like I did the talk at the weekend, and it's like I was in, this, in a slightly different audience to what I'm used to, you know, so I was stepping outside of my comfort mm -hmm. zone. And it's not the fact, you know, people that say, I don't have fear, they're either dead or they're dying soon. Do you know what I mean? You have fear, you have all these emotions, but you need to become the emotional observer. Otherwise, you become a victim of your emotions. Any emotion that's not controlled is contagious. And it's about understanding that when I get nerves, when I get fear, when I get my even ego, whatever, it's about, yeah, accepting that. Just understand it. Be the observer. What is needed in that moment? Fear is actually a really good tool. Fear is the one thing that keeps us evolving. Fear is the one thing, you know, fear of failure. For instance, what does that make you do? Mm -hmm. Keep achieving. Yeah. Um, so fear and everything, it's, 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 again, it shouldn't be demonized. It's, it's about being able to understand what measure is required in that moment. But you can only be that through being the observer. And it's the same with your thoughts as well. 60,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Bearing in mind, most of that is predominantly negative because when it comes to your survival mind, there's nothing, no benefit to thinking positively. 
60,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day, unless you choose the things that you really want, you're going to be in that jungle of negative thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, Jeff, Jeff Thompson, who I'd love to get on the podcast one day, he wrote yeah. a book called Fear is a Friend of Exceptional People. Yeah. And that was like, yeah, an, an amazing read. So, mm. so I, I know in business, um, a lot of people struggle with uh, so-called imposter syndrome, um, confidence, you know, you see someone like loud, you think, oh, they must know everything. Mm. And, and it takes like daily work. I mean, journaling's really helped us here. Um, getting out and speaking on stage. Is speaking on stage something you still you still love doing? You get a bit of butterflies before, but you know, obviously you can on one stage help hundreds, probably even sometimes thousands of people. Yeah, the thing is for me, Andy, and I no, it's not always been the case. People see me on stage and they think, God, he's, he's, he's brilliant. Oh, sorry, I'm speaking, I'm not yeah. chucking myself up, but people say, oh, that was really good. You must you, you, you must have, obviously, this is something that you really, um, you know, you find easy. And it's not always been the case. But the thing is, the more I've done it, it's one of those things that you can't buy, borrow, or sell. Your confidence has to be earned from time served. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so sure. the more you've done it, but the thing is, the, the, the more that you, I used to sit there and think, who wants to hear about my story? <laughs> right, okay. You know what I mean? It wasn't until people said, well, actually, they do. You know, and then I started to understand that, that I then became confident in the stuff I was talking about was being well-received, and that's enough. And for you to know that you're helping other people through your stories, and, and at the end of the day, my, my book of fuck-ups is massive. Right. My book of things that have gone really well is very small, you know what I mean? But it's the thing is, as long as we can learn from that failure, a lot of people say to me, it's like, ah, oh, thank you for being so honest, but I think at the end of the day you know I, I bleed and breathe just like everyone else and and I am so tired of people putting their own potential on a pedestal for all these people that they consider they offload their potential by saying oh you're cut from a different cloth which I think is such, you know it offloads their sort yeah. of lack of performance and puts it onto someone else but the thing is at the end of the day I don't I, I, I won't have that statement I've learned to cut the cloth a different way and we can all do that um, but the thing is, the talks for me, I absolutely adore them. You know, and this is, for me, it's like I got to 43, I think it was about 43, when I came back to the UK before the TV show, locked myself in a house for three months, changed the person I was, and the dream was to do that. You know, I'd, I'd come back from Thailand rescuing those kids, changing their lives. Um, and then I went through my own mental health battles, and through the combination of those two things, came up with the concept of Breakpoint. Right, okay. Through my experience and through helping others. And that, that became the DNA and the heartbeat of Breakpoint. Wow. Well, I, I know, I mean, you mentioned mental health there. Something Paul Mort's always saying is that mental health requires physical support. Um, obviously, you used to work extensively on your fitness. Um, you're doing a lot of work with alcohol change. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be quite a big part of, of what you do. Do you want to sort of explain? I mean, January is coming up, dry January. Uh, what your stance is on that and, and how you've seen the work that you're doing on this front help people? Yeah, really, for me, it's like drink was a massive part of my life. You know, so was that did that start in is that still a big was that still a big part of the military life? Yeah, it was a massive part of the military right. life. But for me, you know, I was 14 years old. I lived in a place called Burton on Trent, which is basically a brewery town. Everyone's paid in beer. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it was always, always available, you know. So from 14, you know, it wasn't <laughs> I was sneaking drinks at 14. Uh, and before then, the army then. right? Oh, yeah. Well, before then. Right. And, and then then joined the military and that just uh exploited that habit you know and it was very much the nature that go and go off and do the work and then and then you'd binge drink you know which was the habit that I then took when I left um and you know one that I you know it it, it was something that it was almost like my crutch because 
I, f- I knew I wasn't on my right path, but I was so confused. I had no idea where I fit into this world. So all that confusion and that 60, 70,000, I think like 170,000 thoughts at some points, but you know, all that lack of massive confusion, the, the simplest thing was to numb myself out. And that was still during the military or after? That was during the military, right, right, after okay. the military, but it, it got worse after the military. Right, okay. You know, um, I actually think, and it's, it's some people laugh when I say that the safest I ever was was when I was in the military, in the Special Forces. Because, you know, when I, in the lead up to the Special Forces, it was absolute mayhem, but I was still sort of held together so to speak by you know my mum and family and stuff but then special forces I was I had the the big the system to keep me sort of confined so to speak mm. but then when I left I was under my own devices that was absolute it. mayhem God. you know and, and that for 10 years you know spiraling out of control drinking and I can remember like the, I think it was like the ultimate for or when I really started to to think this needs to stop is that I can remember one night in Baghdad and we were out there as contractors. We were earning loads of money, a lot of money. Um, but it was very much a wild west world out there, you know, right. just, uh, you know, in the, in the fall of Saddam and everything else. And we we're very much able to do exactly what we wanted to do. And I can remember every Friday, well, every Thursday night they have a party on a Thursday night because Friday is their holiday, one day holiday every week. And it's like their weekend. Um, so we, every, all the lads, we would go to another villa in Baghdad, get absolutely wasted, you know, but everyone would stay there because of the threat. And I can always remember, I don't know why I did it, but, um, I can always remember it got to about midnight and I just went, I'm leaving. So I got my body armor on, got my weapon, went to my car and I had this armored Mercedes, which was actually one of Saddam, Saddam Hussein's old cars. Wow. Yeah. And, uh. I went off. I just went off into bed. I had, mate, I was so drunk. It was ridiculous. God. I was so drunk. I wasn't driving. I was aiming the car. Oh, my God. And it got to a point where I got lost. And you know, I had no idea on me. I had no, no nothing. So if I'd have been caught by the Americans, right. who knows? Uh, caught by the militia, gone. Um, and it was, uh, I got lost. I didn't know where I was in Baghdad. And I had to actually think, right, you need to get your head together. Right. I thought, right get your car to the highest point you can do and i remember i got onto the bridge overlooking baghdad and i opened the door and my ak-47 fell out onto the road and i followed it you know and i was sat there on the floor and i was like wow and that was a big wow. not right at that moment but the next morning but or... the next morning i managed to look where i was think i need to head that direction and i headed that direction and i managed to get back to my villa i don't know how the hell i did it but and i was doing stupid things out there you know totally complacent didn't think i was coming home um almost sounds like a bit of a death wish it was a death wish it was a death wish and i didn't you know I, i didn't i had no care no respect for my life drinking heavily taking valium um smoking everything i was i was a mess an absolute mess and you don't need to be a mental health specialist to understand that um alcohol dependency valium dependency and being shot at is a good thing for a period <laughs> it's not i can guarantee you so was that next day the start of the change or again what was it a bit of a build-up was it was that, that the final straw that was the start of the battle right and the battle was the fact i hated myself doing it the fact of the matter is i didn't believe i could ever change Right, okay. So although I was recognising it, which to a lot of people, and I always say this, I get a lot of people approaching me about I've got a drink problem, and I say, mm. well, the first thing you've done 
by being aware of the drink problem is the, is a massive step. Right. Okay. So it's a massive step, but in my head, I like I just I just didn't think there was a way out. I just right. thought this is me. This is my DNA. Blah 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 blah. This is the person right. I am, which is the biggest load of shit ever. You know, we can change, be, do, um, exactly what we want to be. But that was a battle for me. You know, over over. A number of years after that, managed to get out of Iraq, managed to then go across to Southeast Asia, um, doing the child rescues, which was the best thing ever. You know, I finally got there and I was doing this job, rescuing these kids, getting them to an orphanage where they'd have proper education and everything else. And I, th- I wasn't even being paid for that. It was the best investment I've ever made. Well, I saw so you were down in London a few weeks ago, the premiere of... Um I never know how to pronounce his, his surname. Sound of Freedom. Yeah, yeah Cav- Cavazil. Yeah, Jim I never yeah. either. That's why I never say it. Yeah. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> so was, was were you were you just invited? Were you were you consulting? Because obviously that's the kind of work that you. Yeah, you do, no, me it? and um, Tim Ballard, who's the pretty much the show's all about. Right. Um, I've been speaking to Tim Ballard for a couple of years now. Um, obviously, I took an interest in Tim and the work he was doing mm. a while ago before I even knew about the film. So I wanted to, I was kind of, about, we were abruptly ended from doing that work over in Southeast Asia. Right. And I always knew there was work, you know, there was um, unfinished business. Right. Um, and so I started looking into ways I could get back involved with it. Right. Um, so I got in touch with Tim Ballard and we formed this connection. I talked about setting something up in the UK, um, which is kind of sort of fizzled out at the end of the day. You know, if you're going to do something like that, then you need to commit 100% yep. just to that mm-hmm. one thing. You know, my, my passion and focus is Breakpoint. So it never really went anywhere. Mm-hmm. But because of that connection, I was then invited to the premiere okay. of Sound of Freedom. Wow. But it's a massive, massive issue that is just being brushed under the carpet. And, and so when you were doing that work at that time, was that all also helping you with, with, with your own inner demons? Because you were that focused on that, you just didn't have time to basically go out. That was the most pissed. rewarding thing, Andy. Right. And when I say that is because for the first time in my life, I was front of house of understanding the power of helping others, especially when they're less fortunate. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't being paid to do it. Mm-hmm. So the, the only motivation was the fact of me helping someone else. Mm-hmm. And I feel in this day and age, people are so focused on how many followers they've got on <laughs> social media, yep. Yep. even in a close-knit corporate team and a sports team. People, at, at the end of the day, are vying for position. They'll step over the mates mm-hmm. to get there. Yeah. Now, something for me is like, uh, you know, which then extends to the corporate world is, is collaboration over competition, you know, mm-hmm. and how the English language has also been manipulated, which is not a good thing. Now, do you know the true meaning of the word competition? Because I didn't until two weeks ago. To spur you on to be your best or something? To strive together. Ah, uh, okay. What has it been interpreted in our world? To beat the other yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you imagine, you know, and they, like there's two people that gain from that striving together. There's the one person that trains the other person and the other person that's lifted mm-hmm. from that experience. And that is to strive together. And I really feel that there's a massive division being created, whether that's purposeful or not, that's opinion. But the fact of the matter is the more we can unify and, and come together as a community the more powerful we are. And I feel that division is every walk, you know, gender, sex, you know, religion, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. So, but for me, going back to that experience, that was the most rewarding and humbling experience ever, just understand the power of helping others. And that's why that would then be the undertone for Stein Breakpoint. And were you, were you um, did you have a mentor, 
support at the moment at that time or were you were you sort of on your own dealing dealing with all this no i mean i was at that time i was still i was i was, I was still abusing self-abuse right okay. self-abuse and i call it mate you don't have a drinking problem you have a problem that's causing you to drink you know, so it's about getting to the nerve of that problem. When I came back from Iraq, though, before I actually went on that experience, I went to see a, a spiritual psychologist okay. who really started to tap me into the inner child, really started to tap me into the power of meditation. Uh, and Do you, you know, I, think that was a load of bollocks until that point? Yes and no. I mean, I, look, I, I came from a pretty open-minded family anyway, uh, you know, okay. as, as like when I was 13, 14, I went to see a, um, a clairvoyant, oh, wow. you know, so that kind of thing right. was happening in our house. So I was probably more open than a lot of people are, but still at the end, I was like meditation, <laughs> a load of rubbish. That's a load of woo-woo, mm. you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. All that. I was of that mentality, but you know, it's that, it's, it's, it's having that sort of knowledge and it really was, I did start to notice a difference as soon as mm -hmm. i started to invest in me it's incredible it's almost like the universe started to reward me mm -hmm. and i tell you what it's, I, I don't i haven't talked about this a lot but i started to see 11 everywhere the number 11 right okay as soon as i started to to recognize my negative um anchors and all that bad habits and then started to really invest in me i started getting 11 everywhere 11 11 11 it was crazy to the point where i had to say to that spiritual psychologist I said, uh, at the end of a session i said i don't know if you can give me anything on this but i keep seeing 11 everywhere right he said give me your birthday you are your birth number is 11 so that was one thing. Oh, okay. Now this might spin a lot of people out because well, oh, it's a load of rubbish and, and everything else. But eleven, when I look at the the, the power number of eleven, it's a master number, mm. and it's known to be you are on your right path. Wow! And I kept seeing eleven. Wow. I still do. Still, mm. I still see eleven. But to that intensity, mm. it was ridiculous, mm. mate. Everything. I would book into hotel rooms, room eleven. I'd be on a flight on a plane, seat eleven, and it was just everywhere. Wow. It was just wow. incredible. So all, all I'm saying is, to me. And I do talk, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that I am spiritual. You know, I, mm. I, I do believe in that spiritual side. I'm not religious, um, but I am spiritual. I do myself have to find the science to back it. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. I've actually come up with it because I was in the SBS. I've come up with science back spirituality. Ah, right. There we go. <laughs> but I think, yeah. you know, when it comes to skeptics and stuff like that, you know, if you can give some science backed information yeah. that relate to the topic you're talking about and get people to start believing mm. the more we're more than lumps of meat and gravy, just walking around, eat, wheat, eat, sleep, mm -hmm. work, repeat, you know, there's more yeah. to us than that. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, because, you know, God, was it? I was trying to think. It's not a philosophy. It's Terminator Two. There's no fate except that which we make for ourselves. Yeah. And I'm a big believer of that. That you know you're responsible for your own successes in this world. But something about the universe giving back, which you know, I would have laughed at a couple of years ago. But this happened literally just the other week. Joel and I, we we had a, a, a challenging client. Um, and it was like, listen, we just need to part ways. But we don't want to really say no to the money. But no, let's do the right thing. So we parted ways. That week. We got, I think, three new clients just seem to move toward us. So it's always yeah. like someone saying, well, that was the right decision. We're going to reward you. Mm. And you think, shit, there's got to be something else going on. Yeah. And that could go down a whole other path. But journaling, meditation, you mentioned, massive mm. part of what we do here. Um, yeah, we we were just massive skeptics. But mm. let's try it. Give it three months and you yeah. think, oh, there's something. So, so, so what, are, what are some of like Ollie Ollerton's? non-negotiables every day is it meditation is it an ice bath is it what 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 must you do 
Yeah, I think really at the end of the day, the non-negotiation is the fact that the investment in self, I am the most Mm -hmm. important project there is. Mm -hmm. We all are. And the thing is, that's hard for some people. And when I say this to, you know, I say this to a lot of corporates, you are more important than your wife, your kids, your job, anything. You are the most important. You are the focus. Because the more we can build that foundation, the better of an asset we are to everyone around us. Broken people break people. Ah, okay. Absolute fact. You know, it's like... So really, that investment itself, and in and this, especially in this world, when it comes to our jobs, to our families, and everything else, it's output, 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 and a lot of people just never give themselves any time whatsoever. So putting one thing I'll say is, mask on first. say again, sorry, putting your own oxygen mask on first. Absolutely, yeah. that's mm. a, that's a great analogy. Mm. Um, but the thing is, for me, it's like I don't give myself a hard time if I can't do my routine. Today, I couldn't do my routine because we came up here. We left at five o'clock this morning. So I don't give myself a hard time for that, but like my perfect day will be the fact that the first portion of that day is given to myself. <laughs> so mind, body and nutrition, three things. You know, I make sure that when I come down, I have a healthy drink. I love my coffee, but that is not what your body wants mm-hmm. in the morning. You know, it's like lemon, squeeze lemon, warm water, a bit of salt, blah, blah, blah. I then do exercise. I then make sure that I have the correct nutrition. And that routine for me and that that's, you know, if I've got time, the workout will involve a gym workout, a cold dip. It will involve sauna, the whole works, you know. So I just think all these things, whatever order they're in, you know, we can do a lot of stuff to really start to build that energy of ourselves. And, and really, a lot of people then, they this spins them out as well. The fact that we are, I say to people, what do you, what do you call it? You know, I say to them, you imagine you go into the Star Wars bar, right? And another galaxy. You walk in there and someone's never seen a human before. You explain exactly what you are. Bloody hell. Yeah. Well, this is what we are. I'm yeah. a self-regenerating energy system capable of creating our outside world through internal thought. That's what wow. we are. And okay. then you say to something like that, oh, that's rubbish. That's exactly what we are. And there is an energy field around us. We are electric beings. Um, and people, that spins people out. It's like we are, everything around us is vibrating. We're vibrating. Mm-hmm. The table's vibrating mm-hmm. at different yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Different frequencies. And we give off a frequency. That frequency then gives information. It's no different than a mobile phone. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's We have got to do whatever we can to protect and preserve and and really ex- exploit that energy. Oh, wow. And that's through the things we think about, the things we eat, and the activities that we do on a regular basis. And I think in this day and age as well, the non-negotiables for me are making sure that I am making my own choices based on the information that I've got. So when it comes to eating stuff and all this, I think it's just a minefield out there today about all the foods oh, and different yeah. things. You know, people think they're eating healthy, they're not mm-hmm. eating, eating healthy at all. You know, I'm a big um, advocate around the quality of water with 65 to 75% water, and people are just drinking water out of taps, which has got all kinds of stuff in it, whether it's been, you know, sort of, um cleaned or whatever it's you know it's gone through the treatment plant and everything it's still got traces of pharmaceuticals in it's still got loads of toxins in it and at the end of the day water is energy and it's got memory and it's really it's our power system 
You know, so that and the fact of the things like consuming seed oils, that is such a negative thing. Right, okay. Seed oils like rapeseed and all that kind of stuff is so bad for our systems, but it's in everything. Everything. So my non-negotiables are making sure that I stay mm -hmm. and avoid that minefield of stuff. And then everything I can do, like quality water mm -hmm. and a few other bits and bobs that really I call it getting back to the source code of humanity. It's the source code of who we are. You know, and it's the basics. You know, you don't have to go out there and buy in saunas and cold it. Just do a few basics that really, you know, eating seasonal foods, mm -hmm. you know, and eating whole foods and eating, get away from processed foods. I mean, this is really basic yeah. stuff. But that, that's a massive part of um, the documentary on Netflix. Though. Dan Butner's like Blue Zones, talk about longevity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, so much of it is all down to the processed food. He talks about um, like Okinawa, how that used to be a blue zone. Mm. But as soon as the fast food restaurants came in, yeah. there was a direct correlation. Mm. And now the blue zone has gone smaller and smaller yeah. and smaller. And just the kids are just eating eating yeah. crap all the time. But you look at any city, I was like saying to Laura, I was like, you know, I went out, flew out the weekend to Amsterdam. And I said that the template is on every place. You know, the standard template of a city, it's got the same kind of stores, the same kind of um, eateries and everything else. And and it's almost like the death of the independent, isn't it? You know, yeah. the independent that sources locally their food and everything else and brings you... It's, it's like really hard to find those places these days. So it is harder and harder to find that, you know, the true and proper source of, of, of stuff that's really good for us. But it's there. Excellent. Well... I know the clock's ticking. Um, I'd love to get you back for part two because I, I haven't even gone through half of what I wanted to talk about. Um, so if you come back to HQ, do part two. That'll be, that'll be awesome. Mate, but are you, are you up for a couple of... Uh, uh, well, firstly, um, how do people find out more about Breakpoint? Where's the best place to go? Yeah, really, I'd, I'd just put into, uh, put into Google Breakpoint, um, break-point.co.uk if you want to just put that into your browser or you can just go onto Instagram, ollie.ollerton, and you'll find all the links for Breakpoint. Excellent, excellent. Right, two quick fire questions for you. Mm. Favorite film? Matrix. Oh, excellent. Do we not talk about the other sort of two or three films? Just the first one, you mean? <laughs> the first film. First one. Yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. Yep, yeah, like that one. And uh, what's been your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake was walking into that chimp's enclosure as a 10 year old kid. Wow. wow. You know what? It's like a lot of people. It's weird. It sounds weird for me to say this, but I am so glad that experience happened for me because it, I feel that it gave me so much. Um, and it was this mistake to do that. And also, look, when something negative you perceive as negative happens in your life, mm -hmm. you have this mentality. I just want to forget that. Never forget it because there's lessons to be learned in the things that happen in your life, positive and negative. And the lessons I learned from that were incredible. Wow, amazing. And if you want to know more about Chimp Store, yeah, buy Ollie's book for sure, because it it's an amazing read and a brilliant story. Ollie, thank you very much for your time. I'll see Thanks. you soon. Here's to part two.